0: fans podcast joins tonight well obviously it's me mike like moaning about a headache so that's probably why you'll hear less of me than normal um so it's probably a good thing but we've also got elliot as always hello sir hello mate how you doing very very good thanks and we've got sports writer john whiffin who i'm delighted to say is going to be uh with us for the duration he foolishly said i'll be with you as long as you want me for So I instinctively and immediately went to said right brilliant you're here for the whole podcast hello john hello how are you doing well apart from the headache no just moaning it's normal mate elliot will tell you if there's not something wrong with me something is wrong um so that's how we are how's um how's the uh, writing going this season obviously as always with tigers it's never a boring season is it there's always something um to write about no it's fun um
1: no i'm really enjoying it um as people may or may not know bobby bridge who was the former um tigers writer for mercury moved on at the end of last season to well, I'm not going to say where he moved on to because I'm not going to give, give him any extra <laughs> any extra credit. Um, no, no. Bobby really helped me out, and then he's obviously moved on to Saints now. Um, so I took it on for this season, and I've really enjoyed the, the extra challenge and the extra pressure of going to every game and covering Tigers to a more extent than I did before.
0: And do you are you finding yourself getting some access to the the players or coaches at the moment? And, and how are you finding them? How receptive are they to your uh, to your queries? Um, they've been brilliant, honestly.
1: Um, I, I am still at university, so I don't think I'm a brilliant journalist. Hopefully one day I will be. Um, but they all, they all try and help me out and as much as they can. Um, and as much as I've met Dan McKay and all the players like that, they all seem like lovely people. And that's all you can ask for, really.
0: Sounds like you got more out of, um, Dan and the gang than Bobby did out of Steve, to be fair.
1: Well, I think I did get lucky there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure um, Steve Borkwick would be very happy with a student journalist muddling over his words sometimes or something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine him giving, I mean, he gives sort of, you know, some of the top journalists in the country short shrift. And obviously, hopefully he'll get there one day, but I can imagine he, he doesn't suffer any sort of inexperience like that. But um, Elliot, Sporting Weekend, we like to talk about it. Um, rescued from I'm going to say it, the unlikely source of Tigers women given how the results have been this season we're definitely going to talk about that quickly as well uh, in the news section but you can get all the uh, the detail and the gloating which I hope there will be a lot of in the LTW fancast by Jess Bunyan and Jacob Basswood. so make sure you check that out but mate City last night that's why we were a day late was it worth delaying it for?
2: Uh, yeah well it would have been if it wasn't for the 90th minute again debacle from Leicester where we give the ball away constantly in bad positions um but as, as so tigers on saturday city on monday it does explain why my voice is shot so between us we are not a picture of health so it's good job we've got john in because john being young and healthy uh is keeping the, the balance up no it was a good game actually ipswich are a, a good side leicester played well first half played terribly second half but Ipswich. Managed to nick something late on, which was very frustrating. I
0: thought I was watching a replay of the Boxing Day game, to be honest, mate. Just just gave, sort of like, stopped playing <coughs> after after half-time. Fucking yeah, infuriating. It was... Absolutely infuriating. Not as infuriating as some referee decisions, which we'll get into uh, in the Leicester game. Uh, not, not that that would have saved us, I think. I think they got well on top for, for most of the game. But um, I'll go out right now and say, uh, it sounded like a cracking atmosphere at Welford Road. And also, I think that I, was, I came out of that game certainly less annoyed than, uh, or frustrated as I was uh, against La Rochelle because I thought the lads really acquitted themselves well. But on the other hand, I was even more frustrated because I thought, crikey, if we had an attack coach, if we had a functioning attack, we, we could have got something from that game.
2: Well, I was quite grateful for the fact it was a, a Leicester-Linster game where I could drive home. I didn't have to worry about a ferry. Uh, and trying to catch some sleep before having to drive somewhere and John was on the same ferry home as I was last year so John knows exactly what uh what I'm on about because he was a, a sufferer of the the late night ferry uh he was a ferry cr- fellow crew member on on board the ferry
1: you had some real trouble with that ferry didn't you well on the way there as well
2: yeah I had trouble on the way going over the one coming back was easy apart from the fact I couldn't get sleep but um but yeah it was uh
0: Who'd have thought thought it? A ferry across the Irish Sea in the middle of the night, not conducive to a good night's kip. Mad.
2: Yeah, yeah, who'd have thought it? Mm. Uh,
0: Anyway, thank you to everyone who has been listening and leaving ratings and everything like that. That's uh, much appreciated. We actually had another nice review, Elliot. Oh, have we? I've not seen. I take that back, Elliot. Actually, we've got two. Um, One's just cropped up whilst I've uh, been searching for it but uh we've got one from forever a tiger suspect a strong leicester fan with a name like that says i love listening to mike Elliott dissect the latest tigers performance in spite of me being an avid fan of leicester tigers they see and understand so much in the matches that i have missed can only assume forever a tiger um is is really desperate for some analysis that probably gets that from you elliot rather than me uh maybe because i've never played rugby Money only expect a taste a bit for over 30 years very informative and humorous Questionable humour, I'd say, for over a Tiger, but uh few of two great Tiger sports. You feel all the emotion, emotions that the listeners felt at the time, whether that's elation or despair. Sadly, a bit more of the despair this weekend, but we've had a fair bit of elation too. Uh, and we've also had Tom Tiger, 979, who says we're a bit of a therapy session. Great listen in victory and in defeat. Perhaps more so after a trapping like La Rochelle and some pragmatic insight from Mike and Elliot to remind us that there is hope. And despite, the incline, uh, and despite the playing field, we're not always that far away. Um, but that's lovely to hear, isn't it? We had not had one for it. I think everyone was on their reviews Christmas break, but we really, really appreciate it. Thanks, guys, because it helps us with rankings, helps us uh, effectively the way that we crop up on searches. So it's really important. So please keep doing it if you can. Elliot, are you happy with that? You've been t- described as insightful and providing pragmatic sort of counterpoints.
2: Yeah, it's very always very nice and uh, gratefully received
0: better than being described as a prick a delusional prick wasn't it that's I that's, think that's, that's what we got described as by a Leicester fan last season
2: I think that might have been my burner account to
0: be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so please see, keep leaving those reviews if you want to um, get in touch with us otherwise our email address is therollingmall at outlet.com you can find our twitter handle at rollingmallpod and we've got a facebook group which is unsurprisingly also called the rolling mall before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters, who are helping us put this all together. St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting, and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to the customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martin's have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGMALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGMALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. The news section is brought to you by Parish Brewery, who are offering you and your pub free beer. Now that I've got your attention, Parish Brewery award-winning ales are brewed in a 400-year-old converted stable block in Borough on the hill in rural East Leicestershire. It's here that they follow the traditional ways of brewing, using only the finest ingredients to brew their cast-conditioned beer. In addition to the many beer festival awards, the brewery is the proud recipient of a Guinness Book of World Records Award in 1994 for having brewed the world's strongest beer at that time. Baz's Super Brew and its offspring, Baz's Bontz Blower, is still going strong. Very strong, but absolutely delicious. Back to the free beer, Parish are offering you the chance to win four perfect pints of their ale to enjoy at your local all you have to do is tell them on instagram or facebook what your favorite parish flavor is if you're yet to try one you can check out which one will tickle your taste buds by visiting parishbrewery.co.uk not only will you win but so will your pub as they'll be gifted a free pin and that's 36 delicious pints to you and i so get on your socials Tell Paris your favourite flavour and get a chance for some free beer. It's that easy. Participating pubs only. All entrants must be 18 or over. Full terms and conditions apply. Right, time for some beep, 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 news. No, sorry, that, the, the slowing down of the beeps there was the high pitch hurting my head. Um. Let's talk about some really good news. And usually we when we talk about Leicester Tigers, women, we sort of shuffle them sort of to the end of the news section, not because they're not important, but also mainly because we don't like talking about defeats. And this season has been quite difficult. But fucking excellent. History made at the weekend. And, you know, in a place which is notoriously difficult to go and win, Leicester Tigers in the Enya fixture, sail away, sail away, sail away, going off and winning 22 points to 19 magnificent win. Last-minute try from Leah Bartlett, who, as I understand it, is a childhood Leicester Tigers fan. I mean, you couldn't have written that any better, could you? Last-minute try. And an absolute beauty, as well, scored by Claire Gallagher off a quick tap from the ever-brilliant Meg Jones. Um, Elliot, this is what we've been waiting for, isn't it? I mean, it says so much about the guts and the character of that side, that defeat after defeat they've not let that get them down and they've gone into every game and fought. and I couldn't be proud of them. I think that's phenomenal.
2: It's a great achievement and it's a great victory and it's a it, well done to everyone involved because it, it's a special thing and um, they should definitely make the most of it and enjoy it because it is it is a testament to their hard work that they've gone on. And they've done some of which the men struggling, you know, winning at sale. The men notoriously have an appalling record um, against sale. For the women to go up there and, and, and win and come back with a, with the win is, is, is great work. I, I think it's a great character because, you know, it's hard when you're losing each week and you're under the pump and it is a step up and you're finding it hard. It is hard to sort of see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. So to keep going, keep progressing, keep improvement and keep working hard towards it is real testament to their character and the and the whole group, you know, coaching, playing. Um, and I bet they had a, a, a good old sing song on the way back down the M6 back to Leicester. So, no, fair play. I think it's a great thing. It was, it was great to see the reaction that the video um, Tigers put up off the final whistle with everyone just getting involved, I think, was, uh, was a brilliant thing. All it needed, really, was the, um, the Titanic music, just to, uh, dubbing over the top of it, just to uh, yes. really get it going. But no, it's a great thing. And so, look, well done, Vicky. Well done to uh, everyone involved, because it's, uh, it's the first of many.
0: John, obviously you'd have seen this project get off the ground last season when they were hosing teams left, right and centre by 80 points. And, you know, the shoe's been on the other foot a bit this season. What do you think this will mean to the squad? Do, do you think they can kick on from there? Oh, massively.
1: Um, it, gets to, it gets to the point with losing, that losing becomes a habit, just as winning does. And once you break that habit, it then becomes much easier to then win your second game, your third game, whatnot. But they they'd got to the point this season where they'd look like they were getting closer and then they might suffer a big defeat and they'd look like they're getting closer again and the fact that they've just managed to do that thing, get get themselves over the line and get the victory, it will be massive for their confidence because a lot of these girls had never played at this at this level and there would have been a nagging thought at the back of their mind that are they good enough and they are good enough now, they, they knew they're good enough and they can go and challenge the rest of the league and hopefully get a few more wins.
0: As you say, I think it's big for belief, isn't it? Because you could be in a game where they're in it and you can see the try, and then that, that little voice in your head goes, oh, God, it's happening again, isn't it? But instead, you can say, well, no, this this happened before, because they were losing. Uh, you know, Sale were out in front by more than a score, I think, at one point. And it would be easy then to kind of say, well, we're not coming back from this. But I think that's absolutely remarkable. And it just picking up, was, I think, something that you said, it's either at the start of this season or at the end of last, Elliot, where you said the exciting thing for these women is that every game they play They're making history. They are the first. They are the ones that are going into the record books. And Leah Bartlett, by scoring that try, puts herself in the record books. The whole team put themselves in the record books now as being the first um, Leicester Tigers women's side to get a win in the top flight. And, you know, that is something to be amazingly proud of. Speaking of pride, um, obviously we've put in a pretty healthy contingent into the England selection mix. Sort of a bit of a... Speaking of mix, mix and match of guys who are actually fit and can play and guys who may be able to play later. I think the the ones who are available, we've got uh, Dan Cole, Joe Hayes, Ollie Chesham. I'm missing someone out, aren't I? Freddie Stewart. Freddie Stewart. Freddie Stewart. Yeah, there we go. The most, <laughs> perhaps the most established England player of the lot there uh, over recent years. I've missed out. So Freddie Stewart, those guys are the four fit ones. And we've got the three uh, of George Martin. Anthony Watson, JVP. Now, I I don't know, John, maybe you can shed some light on whether or not JVP and Anthony Watson, how how close they may be. George Martin, I'm led to believe, won't make the first game, but hopefully should appear in the tournament sort of after a few weeks. What what do you think about um, their chance of playing? Uh,
1: I don't think JVP was that too far away um, a couple of weeks ago. That was when I last heard something about it. So I'm not sure whether he's Fingers crossed he hasn't suffered a relapse or a different injury or something like that. I feel like it's one of those things that he will be in the England 23 when he's back at his absolute best. So I think Steve Borthwick just wants him in and around. Even if he's not going to play the first few games or even in the tournament as a whole, I think it's best for him to be in and around that camp and just get him back to fitness. But the most important thing is not to rush him back. And it doesn't look like they are, which is the best thing for him really.
0: I think I'd heard that he'd tweaked his hamstring, not like a full tear or anything. So maybe that explains why he's not been seen in a tiger shirt before that squad announcement. Elliot, the um, anyone there who you think is unlucky in the tiger squad not to get a look in? I did wonder if
2: if DK um, would get a call up, especially with Ollie Lawrence this afternoon getting injured. I did wonder if if he'd be sort of next in line. Um, sadly, not, which is a shame. Uh, it's one of those where you feel gutted for the likes of um, George Martin that, you know, on the cusp of having a, a real quality tournament, he gets he gets another e- knee injury so you just feel gutted for him. So, he, whilst he's been selected in, but part of a rehab crew, you just feel gutted for him for he's, he could have had a real chance to shine and real take, put a marker down as we're now on sort of lion's watch for the next 18 months. Um, it's really affected him which is a real shame uh, for him but it's good to see um, our, it's always good to see uh, the Tigers' involvement. It is very especially annoying when you see two tight heads being called up. It is a um, mm-hmm. bit of a uh, a tough one to take when you when you're losing both your first choice and your second choice, and it clashes with a um, with a league game. You know, I think it's the story of the season at the moment. For yeah, it's so sort of bad luck. McKellar's um, having a little bit. But we've got an 18 game season, that's designed not to have international overlaps. Yet this is the year where we, it's it's. It wasn't supposed to be this year, and it's, there's a load of international overlaps, so it's affecting the season. But hey, uh, hope it's what we have to deal with, and um,
0: got to get along with it. Yeah, uh, and we'll come to injuries in just a second. In fact, we'll start now, but you mentioned George Martin. Tweet to the knee, doesn't say which knee. We know he had um, a knee injury, obviously, coming off the back of the World Cup when he was younger, breaking through into the first team. He had a serious knee injury. John, are we at the point where we start to kind of say, are we a little bit worried about this? I mean, by all accounts, it's not a serious knee injury, but you wonder if this is the kind of thing that he'll play the rest of the season once he's recovered but might have a clean-up over, over the summer.
1: I think, again, similar to JVP, I think it's just important to get him right, especially if it is a, a second injury on the same knee, which it probably is because he's had three, three injuries and two knees. So, <laughs> logic says
0: it is, but... Um, Just get him right. We don't tolerate that kind of logic on this podcast, John.
1: (laughs) No, look, look, just let's get him right because he will be playing for Tigers for 10 years or whatever. It's best to get him right because otherwise you could have a situation like a Manu something, a Manu situation where you get him back and you rush him back and then he never actually recovers and then then five years down the line he's still always back for two games and then gone for two. Just get him right is the most important thing.
0: Two injuries off the back of the weekend as well uh going in against uh well off the back of the game against leinster going into the game against harlequins where we're already going to be stripped of our england internationals um it doesn't get much easier because uh tommy turnover goes off um with a concussion um i'm i'm not completely um on i suppose in sync with what the head return to play protocols are I think it used to be seven days. I know it went up to 12, but I don't know if that's flat or if you pass sort of your one immediately after the game. I know Oli Chesham did, so he's expected to be fine for the Italy game, for example, uh, and therefore he's still travelling with England as well because he could take a full part in training. I don't know whether that's the same for Tommy, but Elliot, you're of the view that he, he's probably likely to be sat out this uh, this game against Quinns.
2: I, I was under the impression it was a seven-day, just flat um Stand down period uh, for failing his HIA when he came off. So I don't know. It, it's always one of those things where one, you've obviously got to make sure that he's right and good to play, and I'm sure Tigers will do all the necessary things. Um, it is obviously frustrating um, if he does miss out. It's one of those where even if he does is available to play, Tigers won't announce anything until until the team sheet goes up on Thursday. He'll be he'll be hidden from view on the. Um, on all the training photos that go up on social media. So even if he is good to go, we'll never know about it. But I I was working the impression it was a flat seven days um, stand down so it wouldn't be available. But um, but yeah.
0: John, the other one, um, which is turning out to be uh, potentially the most worrying, is um, Will (coughs) Will Hurd, who was basically going to be our... I mean, Dan Richardson is obviously in the squad as a tight head. Not seen him for months and months and months, though. Um, Certainly... Will Hurd is now a trusted player, uh, if that makes sense, um, who you wouldn't have any qualms starting uh, a game against Quinns, although I, I still think he'd have his hands full against Finn Baxter, who is an exceptional young loosehead uh, in my view. But he's come off injured, and that leaves Tigers in a real predicament, doesn't it? With um, We've obviously got Joe Hayes and Dan Cole off with England this weekend – and all of a sudden, Will Hurd, poor bloke, gets his first call up to Scotland. He's out of that squad as well. Um, if you talk about your bad luck running all at once, That's it's not ideal, is it?
1: When it rains, it pours, I guess. <laughs> the one time that I think this is Hurd's first injury of the season, and it comes at the time that the other two tight ends are both off as well. So, McKellar will be under pressure to find a solution, I guess, because there isn't an obvious one at this point. You'd say Richardson probably comes in. But I think I'm right in saying, was the last time we saw him off sprays or what? Saris. I feel like he came
2: off the bench away with Saris.
1: And, this, and I think it was last season as well that he had a hard time coming off the bench against someone else. And it doesn't fill you with confidence, is, is a simple answer. Uh, McAllister said last week that he wasn't planning on finding anyone in the market, but I don't know whether that changes as all three of his titles are now gone. Um, but like you say, we've got the we've got the senior academy, and I wouldn't be surprised if he had a look at the guy at Nottingham as well for maybe a couple of week loan deal. Um, but it's not ideal preparation for a very important game, is it?
0: No, it's not. I mean, to be honest, what you want there is just an anchor, don't you? Someone who you can trust in that set piece to to not get faulted. And you know, Dan is a talented player, but at the same time. Like you say, and who knows, behind the scenes, he may have worked on a scrimmaging a huge amount to a point where mm-hmm. um, we could potentially look at, um, you know, he, he could potentially do a really good job, particularly if he's got Cronin and Montoya next to him. However, I think that the what we need is basically just a rock. Can you remember Chris Budgeon who played for Exeter? He was basically just this egg he looked about 40 and, and, and I don't think he moved, but he just, but that he didn't move in the scrum either. And that's kind of what we need, I think. And it, um, as I say, not ideal. Do you think there's been a, uh, there's a potential um, a bit of blame to allocate here? I
2: obviously don't know the, the situation, but behind the scenes, obviously, if Dan Cole had an injury um, last week or not, but, having seen him in the training photos in social media last week, you sort of have to assume that he was fit and good to go um, to play against Leinster, which means if if he was fit to play, it is almost unbelievable that McKellar picked Hurd, to be honest. I like Will Heard, but it was fairly obvious that if he was going to be needed against Quinter, I, I know there's benefits about playing him to get him matched up, but the benefits never outweighed risks for me it, it always seemed to risk one risk too many considering the situation you, you knew that Coley and Hazy were going away we knew that Herd was going to be our tight head for Quinns it just seemed completely pointless to 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 risk it um and I, I, those I it's one of those where McKellar's a smart bloke and I like McKellar but it just feels a completely obvious call it was painfully obvious that this was a risk that he didn't need to take. Do you know what I mean? It just seems bizarre that you would do such a thing. So, like, as I say, I'll caveat it for I don't know if Coley's situation, but yeah, it's just, it, if Coley was fit, I just think it's a massively wrong call. And it's a massively wrong call by McKellar. He's, you know, that's why he's picked to make these calls. And he's, he's got it massively wrong. It's, it's frustrating that it seems so painfully obvious that was going to happen.
0: Yeah, I suppose, as you say, the only caveat is if Coley did have a niggle. Or something that picked up on the Friday that meant that yeah he was you know potentially good to go but uh, obviously you know you don't want to risk him particularly as he's um, get, getting on a bit yeah John what do you think
1: I was just going to add to that that I don't think it is a niggle for Coley on the Friday because on Thursday when we were there for the media both Will Heard and Joe Hayes were up and it's very rare that you get someone put up the media who's not in the squad on the on the Saturday. So they must have already planned to have and Hayes in the squad for the Saturday by the Thursday.
0: Mm. Yeah, doesn't look ideal now, as you say. Maybe it was a risk that's massively backfired, but um, we'll see. As we as we say, we kind of, I think the only two options left are Dan Richardson and uh, Tim Hoyt. Uh, Tim Hoyt, I think, is a really talented prop, but at the same time, he's not played a lot of senior rugby. Um, so again, you're asking a hell of a lot of a young player. Watch this space, I guess, as as always with our podcast. Everything will kick off basically the day that we release it. Okay, let's get through it. It's another defeat to Leinster. I would say our annual defeat to Leinster, but we get the treat of playing them again in the next round, which is fucking ludicrous. Well done, ECPR on taking what what was an improvement on the group stage are they completely ruining it with the most brain dead qualification route um they can possibly think of we'll we'll come to that in a minute um let's talk about the game Uh, a loss at home 27 points to 10 after 20 minutes it was all looking very rosy 10 points to nil up but then obviously as you can tell from that we didn't score a point again uh for the next hour well for the rest of the game, basically, so we didn't score a point after the twenty-minute uh, 20 mark, which obviously is a complete killer. But I walked away from this one feeling very proud of the effort of the boys on that, um, and I thought actually, if I compare it to the loss away in Dublin last year, I thought physically, John, I thought that they they acquitted themselves pretty well, but there are obviously some limitations and some key moments that we'll we'll discuss that ended up costing them quite dearly.
1: Yeah, massively. I think they matched Leinster for a lot of that game. Whereas the, the difference between the three games, the first one, um, under Borthwick was, I think Leinster were always a little step ahead and always had control. The second one, Leinster just destroyed them. Le- Leinster destroyed Leicester. And this one, I think Tigers had moments of being in the tendency, particularly the first 20 minutes. Um, and I think it was about 55 to 65 minutes as well. Um, but I think the key moment physically was when Chad Matic are off. Because, as I think we all agree, he was exceptional.
0: Well, shall we start with the... Shall we get some of the negatives out of the way first? We'll try and finish on some of the positives. I quite like doing it that way, so then we can feel all uplifted before we go into looking at Quinn's. Um, Elliot, I-, I messaged you with my three negatives um, about the game, which is obviously the attack. We already discussed that in detail last week, so I don't propose to do it again. I think it's now... It, it became an elephant in the room. The elephant has now shat all over the room. It's it's busted out of the room. The elephant is rampant. It's loose. It, Elephant's it, toothpaste. Yeah. What? Elephant's, Elephant's tooth- toothpaste. What's that? Did I've you never, never do that, that science
1: that. experiment at school?
0: No, you've got to it's remember put, that I'm fucking ancient, John.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's where you put two things in like a beaker and then genuinely it fills a room with foam.
0: Oh, okay, all right. Well, either the elephant's got his toothpaste out. It's burst out of the room. The attack coach situation is now the elephant's toothpaste of the club. It's a, <laughs> a lesser well-known expression, but it certainly certainly fits the um, I think fits the narrative, particularly because yet again, uh, I think as you mentioned, there were, there were periods in that game where um, I thought we had the ascendancy. Uh, just on an aside, I thought a big difference between the two teams was when Leicester were on top, we were clinging on by up. Our- fingernails for a lot of it really scrabbling to just stay in the game when we were on top it only felt like we had our noses in front we said oh I think we've got a bit of an edge here not blowing them away at all so but we did have a foothold in the game and we did have opportunities and particularly in you know obviously the first quarter we took some of them and then in that second half we had plenty of times in their 22 in and around um, their 22 and yet again we just didn't take it and I think the attack coach situation is, is pretty now sort of, you know, well-known and discussed amongst fans. I think the club is aware now that it's quite a popular topic of conversation amongst supporters. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks on that. I think also big game players, you know, particularly uh, Montoya and Polly, had periods of the game when we needed them the most when, unfortunately, some of their key skills deserted them. I'm talking, obviously, about Julian with his darts, Couple of wayward throws and obviously Polly with that missed touch as well. That was a key moment, Um, and unfortunately, it's not the first time it's happened. You know, I thought they were very good in other facets of the game. You know, maybe for 60 minutes of the game, but for 20 minutes when we need them at at the crunch point, unfortunately, it didn't quite work out. Uh, And finally, my other big negative uh, from it was, I just wonder if again, Captain Hindsight here is a right dickhead, but should we have taken the three? We had a lot of penalties in their half, and we kept going for touch unfortunately we couldn't finish a Sunday dinner so I just wonder at what point you just say let's just get that sc- uh, scoreboard ticking. Elliot do you think that's a fair three sum- um, summary of three negatives there as to why we lost?
2: Yeah yeah I I agree I think the, the taking for three points one is an interesting one just because um, whilst we had a but it, I always find it fascinating the debate because obviously it, there's pros and cons both ways and if you look at the stats, we'd got a bit, and from the game itself, we had a couple of moves which had started to rumble forward a couple of times. So you can sort of see the logic for going to the corner. You know, if it had been 15-10 behind, I think we'd have took the free. I think it's almost certain we'd have took the free. I think with the gap being twelve, you know, you talk about numerous penalties. Well, actually, it was if you take the free, it's only one penalty because you get the ball. You have to. It's only one penalty because the ball goes back to you. You're in your own 22. And, and the and whole, then
0: a whole timeline changes. You know, you might yeah. not get another penalty after that. I agree.
2: That's it. It's very, so sometimes it's very easy to go just take the free. But actually, you know, it's 22 13. You only close the gap by three. It's still a nine point gap. And you've got the ball back in your own 22. Now, you know, you've got to go up the other right. end of the field and get some more points. You know, so it's not, it's not quite as straightforward as just take the free. So I sort of see the logic of why we did what we did. And the forwards were just about. Um, competing and you can sort of see the, the platform what they've got. you can understand where they were going so it's just it's just it's just a real shame that history repeats itself again you know in terms of you know from the Saracens game at home we didn't take like, the full amount of chances that we'd got against Leinster it cost us and I think that's a real frustrating thing. I thought the Polly missed touch against La Rochelle cost us last week in terms of that any chance of a losing bonus point again in this one it's a big moment forty five Minutes into the clock, he's got a penalty to bat, really bang it into the twenty-two. He messes, messes it up. He misses it. Then affects Polly for the rest of the game because his touch finals Then are uber conservative. You know he really cut short his kicks to, the, to, to
0: corner. Uh, that's, that's a really, really that's it. a really good point. That was actually really notable, wasn't it? But you know, I think he had one five meters outside the twenty-two, and he just snuck it into the twenty-two. When usually he's the kind of guy that gets that dead on the five meter.
2: Yeah, massively. So I as I said to you last week, I I applaud Polly and I absolutely buzz off it when he, he goes for broke and he nails like an absolute world you have a touch finder. I can't I'd be a hypocrite if I sat there and went, Come on, Polly, why are you why just play it safe, mate, just play it safe, you know. I I love it when he goes for broke. So if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So that, that's just the kind of guy that he is. So I can't I can't knock him for it. But you too if you go for broke, you've got to get it. Do you know what I mean? You've got especially in the big games, you've got to nail it. And he didn't. And it did affect us. The other negatives, just really, I, I, I don't want to bag referees, and it's not it's not fair to do so per se. But I think we've got to be honest here that the refereeing team on Saturday was below par. I thought the game was way too big for can, them.
0: Can, can I just j- jump in almost as to set the scene as to I thought the standard of officiating on this one. This could be mine because I think Le- Leicester were clearly the better side and would have oh, won yeah. regardless. But when your touch judges show up wearing the same fucking tracksuit tops in the same colours as Leinster, dark blue, and then have to change them at half time. That is an indication of a team that is not well prepared, I think, for this. It was noted on commentary, Nick Mullins had come along and said, Well, it's an interesting point. The lines uh, linesmen, are, sorry, the touch judges are going to have to um, substitute their tops. Um, at half-time because it's clashing with the Leinster kit. And I was like, did this come as a fucking surprise that Leinster were playing in dark blue? I mean, they, they haven't just walked out in a colour that you're, oh my goodness, Also expecting them expecting them to wear that. I mean, that again, that's just sort of rank amateurism. And yeah, I, I thought, you know, as soon as I heard that point and I saw them, and I thought, well, this isn't boding well straight away from the start. Um, but I, I think we can probably talk a little bit about the officiating, particularly their first 10 points, they're opening three points and uh, and and the try we won't bang on about it too much, but but John, it, it certainly had an effect because Tigers had got off to a great start, ten 0 up. Um, Leinster looking for that immediate strike back to basically suck the life out of Tigers, and I think they they got that courtesy of the ref.
1: I think I think it's it's the exact time that you don't need a decision to go against you. If if that, if that decision goes against you in the seventieth minute, you've you've had a chance to build up a lead. But as soon as as soon as you just managed to get a 10-point lead against a team like Leinster, who were always going to come back hard anyway, I, don't, I just don't think they needed that little bit of a the lucky decision which they got um, for the first one. Um, and then Raffel's one, where he was over the ball, I think that's just a mistake. I, th- I think some decisions are 50-50s. I think that was just a mistake by the ref.
0: Well, the, 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 the Tommy Rafael one was actually the second of two for that first three points. It was the... Um... Because he was over the ball, and I think because his forearm is touching the ground, because he's un—you know—he's got his forearm under the ball, hence why it's on the ground. He he pings him for going off his feet, but just because your arm, you know, is on the ground or touching the ground, doesn't mean that you're not supporting your own body weight. And I think that's—it's quite a lazy assumption to do it. That said, a breakdown penalty. You know, they can always go against you. So I was annoyed by that, but hey-ho, they happen. The one before that, though, was Whiteley, just after he thought he'd copped a high shot from Ringrose. This was immediately before this, is when Leinster turned us over. Whiteley is on the floor and he's talking to the ref whilst holding the ball present getting ready to present it in a ruck saying i've just been hit in the neck i, I don't know if it was a penalty or not um I haven't seen a replay that was con- conclusive so i'm not not annoyed about the high tackle but ringrose then who is also on the floor just takes rips the ball off him and turns it back it's it's clear handling on the floor it's it's not so much you say it's a mistake he's either not seen it or if he has seen it he's just got it so far wrong it's ridiculous but that two errors then give give lenster three points and the next one is the McCarthy, um, was he tackled, wasn't he tackled point? What was your view on that, John? I I think he was clearly tackled,
1: is my honest opinion. Um, I don't know whether the ref couldn't see Liebenberg because he was behind him and because there were bodies all over the place. Um, but
0: even if the ref doesn't see it, then the TMO should pick that up. Are there enough camera Maybe. angles? Your favourite topic, Elliot, TMO. Are there enough camera angles that there must have been an angle from the other side that could have showed... Um, Liebenberg effectively he's made the tackle you've got to always remember that once you've made the tackle and you're the tackler the onus is on, on you to release and to roll away so I, I'm I'm not quite sure I mean he's been thumped in that tackle I thought McCarthy by the way Joe McCarthy was exceptional for Lentz probably my man of the match he's, he's massive he's massive he's so big. And, and that is the reason I wanted Martin playing I thought that was the battle I wanted to see and I thought it, you know Martin's absence was was noticeable because of how good Joe McCarthy was, um, and I thought he was exceptional. But you know, it, it is clearly tackled. You can see um, Liebenberg's arm is still on him, and then it's released because he has to roll away. And that's when um, uh, McCarthy's knees are on the ground. But Elliot, anyway, I mean, that, that's the one where surely the TMOs got to take their time. They seem to rush that. Qu- they didn't give it the proper review like they should have done.
2: Someone should have picked it up. I mean, it, it's it's just an obvious error, and it's this is the thing: it's you can't if you are in a TMO system. It's like VAR in football. If you're gonna if you're gonna really play everything to the empty degree, and then four or five minutes slowing up the game, get it right. But we don't, and it's just it's annoying because it. it as I say, does it change the outcome of the game? Probably not. I think Leicester still win the game, but you don't need to give a team that level of head start. And as I say, if we go into a half time break. With some sort of lead, you know, the game changes because Leinster have got, you know, we're not chasing the game in the second half like we were. You know, Leinster have got to do something to come from behind, and they probably would have done, you know, they're, they're a good side. But it's 10 points which should never have been given. And I, as I said, you're right, the the, the thing, thinker guy, for the way they do happen, it's referee's interpretation. I'm not going to get too upset by that. But the McCarthy incident is a fairly obvious error, and it never should have been an error because, like you say you have enough eyes looking at this, there's enough camera angles looking at it. There is almost no excuses to get that sort of thing wrong. So, and it's just really, really frustrating because, you know, (laughs) it comes back to the point, you don't need to give a team who is good as Leinster um, that level of head start. And it it does have an effect on the game, sadly. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's not ideal.
0: Um, John, you mentioned it before. Another key moment for us was obviously um, Chesham and uh, Tommy. Oh, sorry, I say Chesham, we're calling him Buffalo now after his downing a pint um, on, on New Year's Eve. But Buffalo going off and um, Tommy going off were pretty massive. Um, Tommy, obviously, because the way Leinster were playing, a bit similar to La Rochelle, those waves and waves of heavy runners. And, you know, when they get going and it's like, the, well, it is the Irish national team, <laughs> let's, be, let's be fair. But it's how Ireland play. You know, when you're kind of going back, he said, how do you stop this unstoppable force? And one of the few ways you can do it is by getting someone in over the ball, somehow surviving their insanely aggressive clear which I will say, credit to Leinster, I thought were uh, less um, dodgy than they were in the away fixture last year when they were flying in from all angles off their feet. This time, um, they were very precise, very aggressive, but very legal. But, you know, Tommy's the kind of guy that can uh, obviously get over the ball. But, I mean, I, I just want to focus on Ches because, for me... My one reservation with Oli was whether or not I thought he was a fantastically talented player and really good uh, physical player at premiership level. I just wondered if he'd have that outright physicality against, you know, the very best sides. And I actually think against La Rochelle and against Leinster, his physicality has stepped up a notch.
1: Yeah, I think he's really, I think he's growing into a leadership role as well. He's He's not only doing his own job very well as he has for probably a year and a half, two years now he's now going into the point where he's leading men around him and instructing them and showing them what to do in with his own actions as well um and i think it was on that hit on Byrne in the first half where he folded him in half he as i can see from both of your faces yeah um
0: poor bastard <laughs> uh, you could tell when he was down you know i mean these people i assume love playing rugby but there must be a split second where Byrne thinks you know, kind of like as a kid if you got, got hit hard, you're like, Dad, you say take me off. But he was he was brutal, wasn't he? The carry his carrying was good, his hits were, were, were massive as well. I don't think he hit the ground running when he came up to the World Cup. I think it took him a few games to get up to speed. But of late I think he's been magnificent.
1: Yeah, he he um he he, he leads the side around. They they look to him as one of the the guys who I'm going to use the word lead again. He, he he leads them around the field and they follow him. And I don't know whether that's something he's worked on um, or whether that's something that's just come naturally as he has got stronger and more into the side. They just, people, Men seem to follow him. And that's what I'm very excited about for the future because how far can he take it? it because he looks more and more like a, a future Tigers captain every few months and he takes massive leaps forward.
2: I think having the line out responsibility given to him is a real big step in that regard because it is such a key area of our game and having responsibility for it. Again, it's all, but like, gives more credibility to, those, to, like, to to what he wants to do in terms of that leadership role. And it's really exciting in terms of like obviously, you've got Julian Montoya, but you know, Chesham is sort of 22, 23 and is already showing that sort of leadership skill. It's a really important thing. And yeah, I think I think it's been a really good move given him the sort of line-out stuff because he hasn't looked overawed by the extra responsibility and he, he seems at home with it. And you can just sort of see that you can see him in a captain's role. You know, that sort of Jono, got that big presence about him. I think that is, a, it could be really exciting. So even if he doesn't get the captaincy formally, just that role inside the scene is, is a real good step for him.
0: For me, Martin is the more sort of glowering uh, Jono kind of presence doesn't say a lot um, but you know kind of like leads with actions well I think Chesham he, he also he, he's leading with his actions but he's also very vocal as well so between them I think they've got a really nice balance and they're both becoming relentlessly physical which I think again is super exciting seeing they're only 22, 23 years old so really really good they've still got to yeah, they've still got to grow up in second row uh, terms as well so very exciting um I don't want to do one those negatives really much more. Shall we move on to, firstly, some perspective and then some positives? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. Um, so, first bit of perspective. We have to remember that we're playing the Irish national side. That side was the world number one side for over two years in world rugby and was one of the favourites to win the World Cup. They only lost by a squeak to a magnificent New Zealand side. So, that's the kind of side that we all replicate. The other loss, of course, was against La Rochelle, who were the you know back-to-back European Cup winners, aiming for their third consecutive win. So we couldn't have asked for two harder games um, away and at home. So I think it's important that we lend it some perspective when we kind of say, "Oh, you know, oh, we're shit. We're shit. We're not. We're a good side. We've got our limitations to attack, which we've discussed extensively in our previous pod." But I think at the moment we do need to accept we're not going to be where Leinster are and I thought there were parts in that game that were very positive which are going to come to uh, as I mentioned I thought the 80 minute work rate was superb like a couple of people in three word reviews said oh we should have kicked it out um, at the end and I was like absolutely not you know the guys were going for it uh, there was an intercept to think of an attempted offload by Stewart absolutely no problem with that from my perspective both sets of players were out on their feet you could tell that and particularly I think us because we had the six day turnaround off La Rochelle as well I thought we looked really really good um, heavy-legged at the end. But we had nothing to lose by trying to sort of go and get a try, which would have given us a losing bonus point. So the boys threw everything into it, and I say absolutely no fault um, leveled at them. I I thought they were magnificent. Um, The defensive sets, I thought, actually, we had some really good ones against some world-class ball carriers that were coming in very heavy, not necessarily battering them backwards, um, but I thought we... You know, in the phase play, I thought we did some really good things. And, you know, there were two massive moments in the first half where we had uh, two held up over the line. John, you said it was uh, Julian and I think it was DK. DK. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Br- brilliant defensive work, never say die attitude. And actually, you know, that, I think our defensives around the fringes, by and large, were pretty good. And I think that there's a lot of positives to take from that. Um, and I've already mentioned how physically I thought we stood up to them a, a lot better. I also think. The return of Ollie Hassel Collins is a big, big positive. Whenever he got the ball, didn't he look exciting? He looked really, really quick. He looked energetic. He was beating guys one on one. There was one run, I think, in the first half where he beat about four in the space of sort of 10 meters, uh, and got us on the front foot. So having him back, I think is massive and he looks hungry for work. And we've already talked about Ches thought Stewart at the back as well, really solid beating the first guy every time. So there were good performances. I don't think there was a, a sort of a really, a, a, a bad performance. Obviously, we've talked about some of the errors Polly made, but you know that was really good. But, John, you were really impressed with Tom Whiteley as well, weren't you?
1: Yeah. Um, I thought he was incredible in defence in that first half. Not even necessarily making hits or doing anything that will go in the stats. But especially on a watchback, you see how many times he charged through the defensive line onside um, to get through and out and make a dogleg but put real pressure on the first receiver. Um, and it really affected Leinster because they weren't expecting it at all. And I think on Byrne, who's, who seems seen a very, very good fly half. I've not seen that much of him, but it really took him by surprise. And I don't think he knew what to do with it. And if Tigers could have kept that up for longer, when when Leinster were coming on, coming into the fort and taking control of the game, I think it could have been something that they could have really improved upon. And I say improved upon, but I mean, take control of the game more. and affect the way that Leinster want to attack. Because the way that Leinster want mm-hmm. to attack is by having tons of different runners and tons of different options off ten. If you come if you charge through and take away two or three of those options, it makes the defense for the rest of the guys so much easier. And it allows you to smash them back like they were doing during that point in the first half. Um
0: on that point, Elliot, that you know, we love Leinster, love that rap move, you know, where it goes into the midfield and comes back to um, burn on, on on the loop effectively um we've got your twelve or your thirteen acting as a pivot I, I think whiteley shut that down pretty effectively, and you know there's there is an argument to say he's he's um stepped ahead of lenny now in the pecking order, which would have been unthinkable a few months ago
2: yeah i will also echo the um course of praise for Tom whiteley there's a couple of loose kicks, but again that's that's you know that 's not an unfair criticism. i think most nines that that does happen. I thought Whiteley had a good game. I thought what was pleasing is that Austin picked up on comms a few weeks ago. Is that quite a lot of the time, his first thing is just to ship the ball away from the breakdown. And Austin made the phrase, it's a passing machine. That's what he's becoming, is a passing machine. You need to do a bit more about keeping the defence on. So that's what Lenny and JVP are very good at, is testing the fringes of the rucks and the malls to keep defences honest and to make sure that if there is a gap, he exploits it. What I thought was very good at the weekend and actually over the last couple of weeks he started doing a little bit more of this is the sniping game. I thought his he's, he's passing um, and distribution has been good but he's now testing the fringes a little bit more and he was able to spot a gap. You know, he, he got the ball, spotted he was in front of a forward, dummied and went through the gap and, and really set us up for a nice big attack and play. And I think that's, that's really positive for him because whilst he's right, you don't want to become doing too much of the one thing because it's easy to set up against. But actually showing that he's got a running game and showing that he's got ability to pick a gap and to, to put a defence um, on their heels, it's a real good step for him. And, you know, it's a, I thought his, his efforts in defence was, was systematic of the whole team's effort in defence in terms of, you know, it was constant harrying and pressure that we did on Leinster, And, you, could, you know, I watched, I was stood on the terrace as the Leinster boys trooped off of the field. You could tell that they'd been in the game. You know, you, some of the hits from Leicester, from the terrace were thunderous. There were some really big smashes going on, and I thought Whiteley is at times almost too brave for his own good in terms of how he just chucks himself in there and throws his body around. So, no, no, I thought him and his and the overall defence were a real big plus points for lesson. I thought that it is fascinating to see about. You know, we'll get onto the Quins game late for the predictions of the team selection because you know, justifiably on the back of that, he's put himself into. You no, know, he's got the shirt. So, mm-hmm. on an honest okay. performance against Leinster, it'd be very, very hard to sort of take it off him when he's in possession. So, but that's the, that's what you want from that's what you want from competition. That's what you want from your players is people putting their hands up, taking the opportunity, and um, making it really difficult for the coach when it comes to choosing who to pick.
0: First try, as well, deserves a mention. I think is a positives column because I say first try, or only try, uh, because I thought what was really good about it was that it wasn't planned move or if it was it was a very very well executed well disguised plan move but it looks basically that we'd spotted that they'd overwrapped and I think it's DK who calls it who suddenly switches from the open side to the blind side goes straight through the the gap and is able to then kind of make the right decision right pass that's that kind of thing that just reminds us we've got some really good players who can play that heads up rugby um, we just hope that we've got they've got the license to do it more. Now I, I think it's actually more of a case that they didn't have the opportunity to do it more. Think think Lenser probably gave themselves a bit of a bollocking for that because that is something that you don't expect them to do. But the fact that DK was alive to it was aware of it uh, was really positive. And I I think after a difficult start to the season, he's coming into some some good form now, which is why I consider him to be a bit unlucky not to be um, in and around the England squad. John.
1: Yeah. No. I. I- second everything you've just said I, I, what I would add to it though is I think that shows the improvement that we've seen in this game in the last couple of years or so because I I think when he first broke in possibly probably in the t- title winning season I don't think he'd notice that I think he'd be able to um, execute it if he got there but I don't think he'd have the foresight to be watching across the whole field and notice that based on the blind side Um but now he clearly does and he what ran at just the right moment and timed the pass perfectly. Uh, a missed pass as well, which is tough. Under pressure of two guys charging up and Lentor, a good defensive side, under the pressure of that to execute the pass perfectly to put it to Liebenberg was brilliant.
2: And it was off balance. When he made the pass, he, he was on one leg, I think, because he'd been sort of half-tackled. So that made the pass even more difficult because it's not... you know It, it looks easy, but in the moment of having to, to execute that skill under pressure... It, it, it was made a lot harder. So to get it a pinpoint accuracy into hand, hands, so Hanro didn't have to stop at all. He didn't have to break any of his momentum. It was, it was perfect in terms of spotting the space and then executing it. It, was, it's, it is a good, considering it's off the cuff as well and seeing what, playing what's in front of you. It, it, was, it was good. It was really good to see.
0: Good to see Captain South Africa on the go up again uh, down the wing, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Look at that, yeah. Pure Biltong charging down the wing. That's what we've been missing. Great to see him back. Thought he played well, particularly in that first half. I think understandably faded. I, I expect maybe we'd earmarked Hatherall to come on for him rather than um, rather than for Tommy. Well, we certainly wouldn't have expected a hope for Tommy to go off because obviously Hatherall certainly isn't a light-for-light replacement there. And I think we definitely you know lost something once we had to put Hanro in at seven and he wasn't able to play that sort of marauding game that was was looking pretty effective um, in the first half. Right, do we have anything else we want to throw in there before we move on to our three-word reviews?
2: I just wanted to say, actually, that um, there's a couple of things, really. Is that, one, I thought, when Balfour first took over, he always said about, you know, we want to give a performance that our supporters can be proud of. I do think, in a losing effort, I think they, the team did do that. I thought they were, um, you know, they could walk off the field with their heads held high for their effort. And that was you know, against a team like Leinster, that is, you know, it is a good thing. The second thing is, I do think we need to do a little bit of perspective just in terms of who we are playing against in terms of budgets. You know, it is a five, six million pound difference between what we can spend and what Leinster spends in. You know, that does play a bit of a difference here. You know, it is a bit like um, comparing Wolverhampton Wanderers to Manchester City in terms of, you know, Wolves, why haven't you beaten Man City? You had the chances to do so. And you go, well, you know, there's a bit of difference in the quality of what's on the field because of the, the allocation of resources man city can spend what they can wolves can spend what they can that results in two different out, like two different teams and that is what's going to be seen in the outcome so i do think there's a little bit of like you can't judge leicester on how they play against leicester and la rochelle too much because it's not comparing apples with apples so it, actually in the two games they've they've done some good stuff and they've done some bad stuff but that's sort of expected considering you know the opposition you're up against and I do think if you're to look at the, the performance they put in, if you're to put that level of physicality and performance together against the Premiership side, I think you win quite a lot of the time. You know, that physicality, that physicality in defence. I think that gives you a win in the Premiership. You know, Leinster, the attack issue has become almost more highlighted in the last two weeks because for the first time, we're playing up against packs that are either equal to us or better than us. You know, and that is... Without an attacking game, we don't really have a route to victory because we're so reliant on our, our packs and our forwards. And I think most of the time in the, fo- in the premiership, that level of physicality we've been bringing against Leinster would get you to win. That, that, most packs would be yeah. overpowered by us. And I'd, I was speaking to someone who was a, a Leinster fan. I did a, when we did the first um, Leinster game a couple of years ago, I did a, a podcast for some Leinster, uh, Le- Leinster podcast a couple of years ago, and I kept in touch with one of them. And he messaged me after the game and he said that was the best, of the three games, he said that was the best performance Leicester have put together. And he said, on that evidence, you are banging in the mix for the Premiership, like for winning the Premiership this year. And I do think this, we are all very, very hard on Leicester because it's our team and we feel it much more and we're so emotionally attached to it. We, we, we are more critical. But it's really interesting when you talk to people from an outside perspective, how like they really were impressed with Leicester at the weekend and how much like they, our performance stood out as just being, look, you know what? you're a pretty serious outfit. And I do think if you spoke to the Leinster boys when they walked off the field, they knew they've been in a serious game. Like you could just tell by how they were walking that they'd, they'd had to go to the, like toe-to-toe for 18 minutes. And to a certain extent, considering the disparity of resources, that's all you can ask for, you know, to scrap and be really physical for eighty minutes. And it's frustrating because we had opportunities to win the game and we didn't take them. That's really annoying. But at the same point, we didn't get blown away. And I think that, that that's just sort of the thing to hold on to is that, Against one of the best teams in Europe, we went toe to toe for them for eighty minutes. So, if you take that for the rest of the season, there's still like there's a lot of air force to be looking positive about.
0: I couldn't I couldn't agree more. The only thing I'd add to that, though, I think the lack of attack then boils down to what McKellar himself says that he wants this Tiger side to be able to do, which is to you know when Plan A isn't quite working, you've got your Plan B and your Plan C. And at the moment, because of the lack of attack, we don't we don't have that. Now, plan A will be effective probably against 90% of sides. But is it as effective as it could be? No. And do we have that plan B and C? No. But again, as we say, there are reasons for that at the moment, uh, namely <coughs> the lack of attack, Coach. So I guess we'll see. Right. Let's go and move on to some three-word reviews. Elliot, what have you got from the cesspit
2: of X? Uh, yeah. So first one for me is from John Cahill. Who put what could have been? Just about three words, we'll take the abbreviation to make it free. Uh, no, I, I agree with John. It, you know, it, for the first time in the, the the trilogy of Leinster games, we had a genuine chance of, of really winning the game. And, you know, on another day, if you take your chances or if other decisions hadn't gone the way they did, you know, you go into the final five to ten minutes with, you know, a genuine possibility of of a win or something more um, out of the game. So, you know, it's just a real shame that that didn't happen. But I think, you know, whilst it's frustrating to, to lose in that manner, it's better to be in the game rather than just be thoroughly um, thrashed.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Um, I like this one from Sally Coles, which I think is very succinctly put, uh, beaten but unbowed, um, which which is true. As you say, I think we were well beaten in the end by a superior side. Not to say that, you know, if everything had gone perfectly for us and what we could control and you know things outside of our control like some officiating had gone for us then um, then who knows I think that there, there could have been something there but otherwise we were beaten by a better side I don't think there's any shame in saying that but the lads threw everything into that and uh, i say very very proud of them
2: Yeah and following off on that Robert Merrill put fought hard outclassed and it's a similar sort of thing you know they really did put a proper shift in the boys so uh, but yeah there's a, so another gear to them Extra bit of quality and, um, yeah, fair play to them. They took their chances very, very well. And they were very, it's been serious. They were a very serious outfit, Leinster, and they are a, a very, very good side. So, um, yeah, there's no disgrace in losing to them.
0: Yeah. Jacob Worthington, last one on Facebook from me, says didn't convert chances, um, which is true. And, you know, lots of people again saying that need to coach, which, completely uh, completely agree but we've kind of run that one to death a bit now So, but it all boils down to we're getting these chances the forwards are creating them or the physical play uh, the more sort of I suppose basic fundamentals that we do pretty well are creating chances but we need to layer our game to make sure that we can uh, take them okay we have got a Friday night trip uh, to the stoop with the bloody chaps from Harlequins to look forward to. Uh, it's a game that, you know, would have been an absolute cracker if everyone was was fit and available and not selected by England. And, you know, that would have been a very, very hard one to call. It's still quite hard to call, but there's a heck of a lot of murkiness around trying to predict what's going to happen. Uh, now both sides are without their England stars and uh, obviously a few key injuries as well. Um, John, what's your gut feel on this one?
1: I think it's an incredibly important game for Tigers. I don't. I wouldn't say it must win, but I would say it's a brilliant opportunity for them to take advantage of other results that may probably happen this week. And I think if these last two games haven't take, taken too much out of them, because they will have done two test matches in the last two weeks, I think they can go there and win.
0: I like that. It's a six-day fucking turnaround again, which is just what we don't want, which has come back to bite us. It gives us something to learn about. The London fixture computer again, screwing us over. Um, You know, Quinn's super, super impressive against Ulster, weren't they, Elliot? And then they they beat Cardiff, but let's be honest, Ulster and and Cardiff aren't La Rochelle and Leinster. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether or not we've slowly started to adapt to that higher level of play and we can take that across, or on the alternative, which we just mentioned, John, it's taken us out of it, uh, taken it out of us a bit. Elliot, do you think that this game is must win?
2: I disagree with um, with John and yourselves, who, uh, who hasn't said it's must win. To me, it is must win. Um, for a couple of reasons, actually. And it's more, not just about the season, but just in terms of sort of like for McKellar, himself, I don't think it's healthy actually to go into a tomb up shutdown. I know we've got the Premiership Cup to look forward to, but I don't think it's healthy to go into a tomb up shutdown when there's a little bit of noise around McKellar at the moment anyway. I agree. On the back of three do agree straight defeats. I think that is a there is. I a... I don't think it, McKellar sealed a deal with a fan base. I think there is a lot of goodwill towards McKellar. But I think at the start of the season he had that goodwill. I think as he sit here now, that goodwill may not have evaporated, but he's, he's running out of it. And given the fact he's not sealed to deal with the fan base, to go into it with three straight defeats, albeit I know two against Lencer and La Rochelle, but it's still three straight defeats all the same, that would be a very, very painful two-month shutdown. Um, the other reality is that, that because, for me, it's because they lost to Exeter. They've got to win here. Interesting in terms of balancing it out, because you've got to get away wins. We can't just rely on our Welford Road form. To get into um, the top four, you've got to pick up wins on the road, and given the fact we didn't get anything out of Exeter, means to me you've got to get something here just to balance it back out. Um, you know, you look at the results that are potentially could happen this weekend. I think we've got to take advantage of them, and I just think you know if if you don't win this game, as you, you know, as we've met, sort of mentioned off air, I think it puts so much pressure on the last six games post shutdown for you're almost asking for trouble. I know our England boys will be back and I know it's a different story, but you look at the fixture list post-shutdown, you still got to go to Sale, which we don't win at. You're going to go to a Newcastle team which is going to be rejuvenated under Falcons. That's not a gimme anymore, You know, considering the bad form they've been on. It's yeah, not Steve, a gimme.
0: Steve Diamond there now, he's going to um, he's going to get them playing with, with a bit of heart and pride. They, they beat Perpignan away as well, which is massive yep. for them. Um, so, d- d- just, and just, we've got to go to
2: Saints as well. Yeah. And we've got to go to Saints as well in the local derby. And I know... We like dominating Franklin's Gardens. But, you know, if you don't win this game against Quinns, I think you go... F- if we beat them, I think you're a genuine top four contenders and we're properly in the mix. If we lose it, I think we're to rank outsiders. And I would say the season's almost, almost over in terms of league film. I'm not saying it's definitely over because there's always going to be a shot, but it's very, very hard.
0: Just um, quickly, it before we hit record, why don't you just quickly go and summarise some of the... Um, issues other clubs are sort of going through, which might mean we see some surprise results this well, weekend. Yeah, let me get the fixture this, because
2: there's some really interesting games uh, to come this weekend. Just in terms of, look, Saints have got Newcastle. Saints have got a real depleted backline because Steve Borthwick has picked them all, which means that's going to be fascinating in terms of how they deal with that. You then look at Newcastle, I'd say, under new management. That makes it interesting. we we still play Bath? Bath have had some international call-ups with England. They've also lost um Jomo and Will Muir this afternoon. So they're now up to a bit more depleted um, squad fair. Bristol at home It's a full house. It's 25, 26,000. That could be interesting. They're going to come back from Connox and they're going to have a point to prove. So you can imagine they've got something to say. Saris play Exeter. So there's two champion uh, you know, playoff rivals. One's going to lose out. You know, it's going to be fascinating to see who loses out there, but there's going to be some drop points. For arrival. And then on Sunday, you've got um, Gloucester at home to Sale. And Sales' injury crisis is existential. And they've also lost three or four to England, so including 40. So, you know, they're almost down to the bare bones. And you've got to go to um, Gloucester, who had a, had a coming off the back of a good fortnight in Europe. So yeah, there is a lot of competition out there in terms of places for the top four. But all of our player risals, are in danger of dropping points this weekend. So we've got to be able to take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. It's almost precisely because other teams could be dropping points, I think that this weekend may not be absolutely last chance Saloon must win. But I, I, what I would agree with, I think that if we lose it, I think there is almost no margin for error for the rest of the season. I think that we have to win every single game after that. And as you say, there are some really tough fixtures that we've got to um, be able to Uh, overcome for that to happen. Um, John, when we played Quinns at home, it's strange. I I thought in many ways, actually, we played some fantastic attacking rugby, but also had some real brain farts in defence. And defence is going to be key for this one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think up there with Saints, they are the best attacking team in the league. Quinns, when they're they're at the best, um, especially through the midfield, which Tigers have got better at this season defensively apart from that Quinns game where I think everybody just made an individual mistake that led to a try um, in the midfield at least um, I think it led to who was it was it Beard who scored in their corner an incredible finish
0: yeah I, th- I think we had we had Kelly with the drop on halfway when we had a three man overlap which led to a scrub and then a bouncing ball which yeah. he then got through the middle this whole flummoxed our midfield defence I think Polly got sucked in and then and then they scored, I think, Beard in the corner. That was the one. But again, that was a sliding doors moment in that game.
1: Yeah, it, it's one of those that against Quinns, you have to be perfect with your with, with your midfield defence, especially. There are other areas where you can attack Quins where they don't prioritise because they do prioritise that defence, that attack against broken field, especially. So with kicking as well. But also with first phase, that's where they score a lot of their tries. So if Tigers are going to go to Quinn's and get anything out of the game, you have to make sure that's absolutely perfect. Which it was the other day against Leinster, to be fair, because Leinster liked to like to do that too. But it has to be perfect again.
0: Um, let's talk about sort of I suppose the selection issues for both sides. So for Quinn's, the players who they are missing, and it is pretty much the, the spine of their side in terms of how they like to attack the big the big, big three are Alex Don Brandt, Danny Kerr and Marcus Smith that is the fulcrum of their attacking game. Um, you know, that link between the forwards and the backs that gets them playing that wonderful all court style, uh, which causes problems to so many teams. They did some phenomenal work against, um, uh, in particular, I thought against Rassing, I thought they were, they were superb um, in taking it to a real top team there. They're obviously completely blown away by Toulouse at home. So, you know, it, it's not like they're in, infallible, but I know Toulouse are a completely different beast, but, they're probably on par with Leinster and La Rochelle. So that's a, sort of, I suppose, a sign of, you know, that these guys can be can be hit hard. And they obviously got thumped by Saracens at home as well, who played a pretty straightforward, very physical game. So there is a route to victory there, and it revolves around good kicking and physicality. The other players they're missing are, are, are only slightly less important. I think Joe Muller's been in a superb form on the loosehead side. Um he's gone. Um and then we've obviously got Chandler Cunningham South um super, super physical. Um you know, he's starting a lot of their games at six at the moment and uh obviously Oscar Beard, who's also been injured now as well, um who's been a bit of a revelation in the thirteen shirt, having played as a winger for um at the start of his career. Um us on the other hand, obviously we've already mentioned the players that we're missing and, and I suppose for us, it, it's an interesting one. We're actually not really too badly affected in the back line for once. Um, we've actually got, obviously, JVP is still injured, but aside from that, Freddie Stewart is um, obviously with England, but we're we're pretty much at full strength. You know, you don't lose a lot by Mike Brown coming in uh, as long as he's fit uh, into that fullback back shirt. Uh, and then, obviously, hopefully, we can have somebody, I know, we, we may be uh, scratching the surface, I suppose, on wingers, actually, now I think about it, because Bassett didn't play. Simmons was injured um, at the weekend, so you know, I wonder. Now I say it, so I wonder who we're going to have on the wing. Kata might be making an appearance.
2: I would have. I would, actually, to see him on the wing. I would actually put Kata on the wing. To be fair, I genuinely would um, use that as a cont- as an excuse to put him on the wing this weekend. I think just to have the dist- it gets us the distribution skills of, of, of Kelly and the power of Kata on the field. And it allows us to have Matt Scott in in the central uh in the centres, running the defence. I would seriously consider it. I would I'd be brave enough to do it if everyone was fit, I'm not sure. But I think if the injuries are dictating um things, I would use it as an excuse to play Catter. I think that power option, in the same way we had Namani, I think could be fascinating to see um how he gets on.
0: Gives us an extra street to our bow and attack as well. If you've got Catter on the wing. He's not uh, you know, coming off his blind side off the shoulder of whether it's Kelly, whether it's Pollard. Uh, you know, you think that there's a real potential there. What what do you think attack wise, John, we're gonna or selection wise we're gonna be looking at?
1: I think it, it might be an option for McKellar, that not necessarily it's first choice, because we know that we are down to the bare bones in the back in the back three at least. Possibly putting Shilcock to pull back and then back Brown to the wing and then having Brown defend at fullback at least. Because certainly that would allow you to have three very, very good kickers with Pollard, Chilcock mm. and Brown in the back three in, during general, g- general play.
0: That is a very, very good point as well. Uh, it'd be interesting. I'd, I would quite like the idea of Kassar just sort of like, as I say, kind of like being able to lurk on the wing and sort of like, just give him a bit of a marauding role in attack just to pop up here, there and everywhere. Cause that is a hell of a bloke to try and mark if he's been given a free role. Um, the forwards, uh, for me, whilst I think Quint have lost their attacking spine, I think we've lost perhaps the the core of our physicality, uh, arguably with with Martin and Chesham not being available. Um, for me, that would have got the headlines, but now we're obviously down to our bare bones at tight head. We've already mentioned that. Um, the scrum is a major concern to me, Elliot, because I think that whilst they've lost Marla, um, we're going to have to see Dan Richardson or Tim Hoyt, unless we bring in someone very quickly uh, on a short term loan deal. Uh, we're going to have to see. Uh, one of those two guys who are both very, very green against Finn Baxter, who I know is not old and is himself sort of a relative newcomer to Premiership rugby. But I mean, that's a future England international straight away there. Um, and when he came on against Ulster, he continued the the good work Carli done in the scrum. He he looks a heck of a talent, and we've got to try and somehow contain him.
2: Good news is compared to the Saracens game, where Saracens were were depleted on both sides of the scrum. And with Theo, Dan, they didn't have a particularly strong scrummager. We've got Cronin, who's a top-draw scrummager at Lucy. And you've got Montoja in the middle, who's a very good scrummager. And they're going to have to do a really important job of holding up Richardson. This it, it feels bad because I think Richardson is a, is a half-decent player. And he's clearly very strong, as the videos from the gym um, testify. So it might just be that if you've got Wells behind him, because a lot of the time you have to remember is when we've seen Richardson, he's never had someone like Harry Wells behind him at, at scrum time, which does obviously play a part in it. So it will be fascinating to see what they do, because obviously the scrum is more than just, you know, the front row. It is a full full eight effort. And then there's other things that to, to sort of play, comes into play here, because let's say that Tommy Raphael is going to miss out, and I'm pretty sure that Tommy is going to miss out. One of the issues we had in the first game was that we didn't have a, a ball presence on the floor. You know, we had Matt Rogerson at seven in the first game, and that I I think cost us. And McKellar himself said after the game against Quinn's at Welford Road that not having someone threatening the breakdown was a major thing. Well, that's, you know, that's McKellar's issue because he could have picked Ileone from the start against Quinn's, and Ileone, when he came off the bench against Quinn's, got a turnover in five minutes. So to me, that it does beg the question of what you do because in an ideal world, if Hurd was playing, I think you'd be looking for Ilione to play at seven because to be that sort of jackal, jackal threat and, and threat on the ball. And you've got to, when you play Quinch, you need to slow their ball down to stop their attacking threat. However, it, you, he may want to bulk up the scrum because we've got, you know, we're down to fourth choice tighthead. It may mean that Rogerson comes in because whilst you lose that on the floor presence, it bulks up the rest all, of the scrum. Just cra- all gives all you... Cracknell
0: is cracknell, yeah. obviously pretty uh, decent over the ball. I'd say he's probably a more natural jackal than, than Rogerson. Um, I remember particularly last season he got some absolutely key turnovers for us, and I don't think he was in brilliant form at the start of the season. But since he's come back, he's looked he's looked decent. So perhaps uh, obviously that's an option for us as well to put crackers in at, at, at seven.
2: Yeah, I think it'll just. I think it'll be fascinating to see what they do because the other question I'm also fascinated by is um, second row on the bench because at the moment um, you have a couple of options there. Do you go? An academy selection in terms of Lewis Chessum, Tom Manns, Rob Carmichael, or do you go for a double back row effort of having, say, Rogerson and Haverall because Haverall can cover second row um, as well. So there's a couple of options. What we do on the on the, the second row for the bench, and I, I'm intrigued to see um, how we play it with with, with McKellar.
1: I just think on that that they will have also lost a lot of weight out of the scrum or the weight out of the forward pack. For, for more time when you're losing um Martin and Chesham and then I'm not sure I don't know about the weight specifically, but I'm gonna guess that Richardson is lighter than both Cole and Hayes, both of them. Um so I think he may choose to have a heavy some heavy guys on the bench. Uh, obviously rugby's not all, all about weight, but when you're defending Mauls and quins are a very good mauling side, I think they could be very important to have off the bench to, to change it if you need to.
0: Mm. I think that's a really, really good point. All right, uh, Elliot, why don't you go and start us through your lineup then?
2: Cronin, Montoya, Richardson.
0: Yeah, as it stands, that's that's the same for me.
2: John, what are you saying?
0: Uh, agreed on that, yeah.
2: Second row for me would be Wells and Sam Carter.
0: Carter! Sam Carter! Yeah, look, uh, and the, uh, I have to say, look, with Sam Carter, I think he always puts in a shift as well. I always think that starred game where I thought he was magnificent, um and you know his work rate is huge playing some big games for ulster was was a real sort of cornerstone of that pack so he is a physical presence to bring in as well and he does add a bit of heft and height in there as well really experiencing the lineup so i think sam carter's sort of low key will be super important for us i see you're probably thinking the same there john as well
1: yeah and i would just add on carter as well when he came on he was leading the line out um the other day so i would be very surprised if he wasn't doing it again this week um, and that will be obviously when when you're losing Chatham, who is the regular, it's important to have somebody who's really experienced who could come in and just do it at a moment's notice, like he's going to have to.
2: Yeah, Matthew, I think I completely agree with that. It was very noticeable down at um, Stad. He was he was very vocal in terms of leading the line up there. I actually liked Carter away at Sarries. I thought it was an absolute nuisance when he played against. Um, Sarah's down at the, uh, the Stone X. I thought it was an old, it was just old school nuisance. So I think him and Wells together, I think, could be fascinating in terms of just like dick dickheadery. You yeah. know, our shit,
0: shit, shit turned up to 11. That's what I want to see.
2: Yeah, they're, they're pretty good at that. Back row for me would be this is how I would do it. I would do, I'm torn between it, but I would go Hanro, Ileone, and Visa. I just love Ileone's sort of Jacqueline abilities. And I'm really torn between him and in Cracknell, and you've put a very good case forward, Mike. And I could be very well sold to it, but I do like Ileone. And I think with um, the bulk of Hanro and Visa, I think you can just about get away with it.
0: I think that, yeah, it's a difficult one. I think John's point about the bulk is really interesting, whether or not uh, I don't, I mean, it does matter who you start or not, uh, uh, or not. but I think, you know, if one starts, the other has to be on the bench. Um, you know, Ileone is the out and out sort of jackal threat, but. We saw, and this wasn't just him, it was the entire pack got beaten up against Exeter. They just weren't on it. And that was his, his first start for um, quite a while. And I just wonder whether that's going to put perhaps a bit of doubt in McKellar's head about you know, as to whether or not he's ready for that out-and-out physicality. Um, just to go against you, I'll put crackers in there, but I was the chief person moaning when we didn't start Leone against Quinn's. So you know, I'm being a complete hypocrite here. I would be very, very happy to see him start, but I'd want Crackers on the bench. So if you can look at that, even if it's half an hour in, and say he's not able to, you know, effectively slow their ball down, then you can say we. I think that's that's the time to bring Crackers on.
1: I would agree on that. My only thought would be I, I would go. I would agree on that, but I would rather have Crackers to come on as an impact than in, than Ileone to come on as an impact. So I would go Ilione, Visa and then I would like to go with um, Liebenberg, but having had what four or five weeks off I don't know whether he'd be able to go again from the start for another 60 minutes but I obviously he's he's one of the fittest guys in Tiger squad generally but I don't know about this injury that he's just come back from whether he'd be ready to go again from the start so I'd I, be tempted to put Cracknell, Cracknell in at six and then him up, in on the bench
0: I think that he's been nearly ready for quite a while so I, I think it's worthwhile starting him, um asking him to enter the taxi how he's going and then uh and then go with it. I mean I, I don't think it was necessarily his fitness that kind of cost him it was being moved across to seven um which meant that he, he was unable to be as effective as he usually is in the six shirt. So I'd be very, very happy to be fair with um with a back row of um Hanro, Visa uh and Ilioni with crackers on the bench. Um what are you doing for your second row sub, by the way? me, I, I... oh Rogerson and Havreul
2: just, so Havreul to cover. So I'd have two back rows, but have is to cover. I would have Cracknell and uh, I,
1: I Obviously, if you start a uh, uh, hand row, then I'd have Cracknell on the bench, but
0: all uh, the other way around. I think a combination of that. I agree with you, John. I think you know, with Lewis Chesham, I think it's there'll be a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, what's the point?" Of, you know, talking about bringing through youth if you're not going to have him on the bench for a game like this, and I get that. I think that in the Premiership Cup games, which obviously were you know several levels below what this will be, I think we saw that there are still a few gaps in Lewis Chesham's game, and you know obviously people argue and say he's only going to get over those if he gets more game time, and I do get that, but I don't think that this is the game necessarily to do it. And I also think you've got a fit and a relatively fresh Harry Wells and Sam Carter. You've got more injury worries and tactical worries, I think, in the back row. And I think we need to legislate for that by having two back rows um, on the bench and, you know, with the potential to cover um, the second row jerseys, obviously. So let's go into the backs. Uh, Tom Whiteley starts at nine for me. I'd agree on that.
2: Whiteley would be at nine. It's fascinating to see what they do. I don't know if JVP, I don't know whilst he's really having, whether that means he's gone with England to their overseas training camp. Um, If he's, gone away, then obviously he's not going to be available. So we'll rule him out. I would go... Actually, no, I'm would. i going to change my mind. I'm going to go with Lenny. I think, considering it's such a big game, and I think given we're away from home and given how important the the win is, I think he wants as many senior voices on the field from the start. And I will lean towards Lenny getting the nod to to finally get a go.
0: I've actually just thought as well, given that the scrum is like to be targeted i think the kicking game becomes even more important the territory side and i, I it's really harsh on whiteley because i think actually his decision making has been you know a step above lenny's in recent weeks but i just think that lenny's kicking generally is more reliable than than whiteley so perhaps that is the right call to start with lenny uh, obviously polly at 10 um centers become interesting because we don't know what the wing situation is uh, i would Quite, I'm now quite excited. I, I'll just do the rest of the back line. For me, it would be Kelly, Scott, Casser on one wing, Hassel Collins on the other and uh, Brown at fullback. That's what I go for. That's rogue, but I can see him going for your much more sensible approach of Shelley at fullback and Brown on the other wing. What do you I think? Would, I, I was, I'd I'd put a sorry. second vote for yours, Mike. I would have a second
2: vote for yours, but I do like John's as being very sensible. I like the, the rogue element of yours, Mike, so I'd have a tick in that column.
1: I would love to see Catter on the wing at some point I just can't see it happening as in if we talk if we're talking my team I would put Catter on the wing if we're talking the team I think he will select I think we will see um Mike Brown on the wing
0: I think that's probably
1: But fair. I agree on Hassel Collins and uh, Mike Brown being in there definitely
0: Well uh, that also actually then leads us to a separate point which I guess is that if if we're so stretched in the backs to get players actually on the pitch we're actually pretty stretched then in the uh, on, on the subs bench as well. Maybe we will see Lewis Chesham in there, but in a 6-2 um, bench selection, uh, which I think may be perhaps more realistic. And then you either have Lenny or whoever your scrum half, um, Whiteley um, in that sort of 22 shirt, uh, and Kata or um, or Shilly in that 23 shirt.
2: I think it really depends down on on like injuries on who's actually fit. I mean, if Bassett is fit, I think he probably gets a nod in the 23 in some shape or form. And if to be honest, I think if he is fit, he probably starts.
0: He starts, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I,
2: th- I do think if Bassett is fully fit, he probably starts. So the bench is going to be tough. I think Whiteley, Shilcock, for me, if I've got Cat on the wing or Bassett on the wing, it'd be Whiteley, Shilcock. Um And if Bassett's fit, Bassett plays with Cat on the wing. If not, it might be a 6-2. Really tough, really tough.
0: Right, let's I wouldn't get... be surprised to see a 6-2. No, I wouldn't be. We did that before, didn't we, when we were down to our bare bones, so I, I get the impression that might be the case here. And I think I think where we're, we're going to struggle is going to be keeping our fat pack fresh and physical uh, and being able to sort of match Quinn's. Because as we've said plenty of times in this podcast, I think Quinn's have got the most underrated pack in the league. Um, heck of a challenge. Um, I-, I thought it was very finely balanced and then the tight head situation has got me quite worried about this game. Uh, what are we thinking uh, results-wise, Elliot? I feel a lot
2: more comfortable with heard and with Fell being on the park. Without them, I think it turns it from being a tough but winnable fixture into an extremely tough um, game. If they can bring the physicality for the last two weeks, which they have, the pack has held up pretty well, pretty well, sorry. And if they can bring that level of physicality, I do think even with the depleted the the, the injury call ups, international call ups, I do still think they have a slight nudge in this pack. But the, the because their their attack is so limited, that is the only way to victory is going to be through the forwards. And if they don't get any sort of dominance at front, I can't see them finding another way to win. I just think we're going to come up short, and it'll and it's going to be a frustrating defeat. And I think it could be an uncomfortable, 2 much shutdown for McKellar and for the coaches, which will be a real shame because I do like the bloke.
0: Shut up, Elliot. I'm Sorry, going to, mate. I'm I'm going to say we're going to sneak it by three points, but <laughs> I I probably my head is agreeing and nodding away with everything that you've said. Um, I just can't tolerate the idea of um, losing to those toffs again so <laughs> I'm going to say uh, a, a very close game where we somehow pull it out of the fire, two three points maybe a couple of uh, sort of you know turnover tries and, and things like that I think would be quite important we've got to find a way to protect the ball from Will Evans I think he's absolutely brilliant and he it, I think he's very very unlucky not to be in the England squad and I think he should be in the England squad because that would mean he wouldn't play against us Um John, where are you going with the result?
1: Honestly, it, I could really see it being a very, very close game. But I, I do think Tigers will shade it. The, I'm more worried about the tiredness from the last couple of weeks from two ticks they turn um against two sides that are better than the ones that Quinza faced. I'm more worried about that than the upfront situation because i back dan palmer to come up with a solution to make it so it's not a ridiculous gap between the two front rows and so i will go by tigers by by tigers by one
0: <laughs>
1: oh,
0: oh. Good. Oh, good so it's On a very right.
1: very bum-clenchingly nice
0: yeah <laughs> a, a really nice relaxing uh start to the weekend well OK, fingers crossed um, that we pull a tight head, out, uh, tight head out of somewhere. I mean, that'll be painful, depending where you pull it out of. Well, if you pull it out of anywhere, to be fair. Um, Elliot, um, is it is it true we asked England for one of our tight heads back?
2: As I understand it, we requested, and I believe one of the tight heads has requested to come back. However, currently, as we sit here on a Tuesday night, uh, both tight heads are on a plane to the overseas camp so I think take from that that to be fair it's very dangerous precedent to have set even though there is a Hmm. a justification and we are owed extra still a huge amount of favours back from the RFU even with the Watson thing I think we still can cash in a few favours we're owed a few I think currently as it stands unless something drastic happens we aren't getting Coley or hazy back
0: Hmm. yeah I, I, I think I think it's the right thing to do. Making a request, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll be a case of fine. You can fly back Thursday night uh, and play the game and come back again. But I suppose, as you say, it's a dangerous precedent set because I can imagine if I was a Quinns fan, I was saying, "Well, we want Marla back, please." I'd be furious uh, if I was a Quins fan. Yeah, I,
2: yeah, I, I think I, I think that is the. I think that genuinely is the reason. I think what has happened. I think I do think, from what I can gather. Um, we put a request in and I think Quinns quite understandably went, well, we want our boys back. And and then that suddenly sets off a chain reaction across the entire league. Because then if, you're, if, if we're getting away with it, well, Quinns will want it. And if then us two both get it, Saints will want their boys back because they're just depleted. And then suddenly you just, the whole thing of training camp is completely depleted. So as frustrating as it is, I do think they've got to hold the line. But I'm severely frustrated but they took both first and second choice props
0: yeah but I suppose the, the only sort of argument putting my legal brain on is that this would be an exceptional situation because you've taken two players from a single specialist position um, and therefore it's always going to leave a club depleted but I do think that precedent situation will will probably override it and you know I I, I can see that I think that's probably fair enough oh well we'll back down Richardson we'll back uh, all the boys putting a big performance come on down oh. thank you very much everyone for listening as always please leave a rating and review um john thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure to have your uh knowledge on and you, you know spoken very very well raised far better points than uh, certainly i could do i think you're probably probably up there with elliot to be honest He's yeah,
2: thanks me. very much bad for me i've really enjoyed it thank you
0: fantastic um well we start where we did this podcast in the first season basically i just use it as a sort of forum to vent my frustrations at various things. That's died off a little bit recently, um, mainly because the kids are the source of most of my frustration. But uh, I'm going to bring Mike's moan back just for a quick second. I think we've just got to very quickly touch on the ludicrous um, Champions Cup format. And before anyone says, oh, it's just because you don't want to play Leinster. Well, you're right. I don't want to play Leinster. But effectively, we probably should be playing one of the other top seeds, like Toulouse, away from home shouldn't we, I think, you know, effectively the top of another group. The way that it's been done is that the top four teams from each group has qualified, and then they all get seeded in one big pot together, where for some reason as well, they put points difference as a more important differentiator than, than wins. Um, so that's meant that there's some oddities there, and it means that, I think, as the six of the eight group, six of the eight round of 16 games are actually teams in the same uh, group that are playing one another some of them may be reverse fixtures some of them may be uh you know teams from the same country that didn't play each other in the group stage playing one another either way it it's a complete shit show and it means it takes away the point that if you get out of a group of death you should be able to play against somebody from a slightly easier pool as it is La Rochelle and uh, stormers the other two teams uh two of the other teams in our group have also qualified and they're playing one another as well. So the whole group of death now is effectively in one side of the draw, which is absolutely bananas, I think. I just don't understand how this just wouldn't happen at any other elite-level tournament. We had the final pool fixtures all being played at separate times as well. So you had, I think Rob Baxter said that they had the win taken out of their sails by, I can't remember who it was who who got a win. But it basically meant that they couldn't get a, a home semi final, and that and that was partly responsible. Their mentality was slightly different when they played Bayern, and they got they got pretty well beaten there. And that's just a prime example of well, once the result, you know, the results from all the other fixtures, on some level, it's going to have an effect on your mentality. I'm not suggesting match fixing at all. The Absolute madness that those uh, the last um, round of pool fixtures. Weren't all played at the same time in terms of per group. So, for example, all of Pool One's team all play at the same time, etc. And then we have this absolute shit show where we're not getting any new teams to play. We're playing teams from the same country. All of that stuff I think is is complete shit show, and you just would not see it in the Champions League or any other sort of elite sport. And I, I cannot understand the mentality behind it.
2: No, completely agree. I think for me, it's it's
0: it was so obvious that
2: you could have done Pool A versus Pool B. Paul C versus Paul D, or you know A versus D and B versus C. You know you could have done any. Uh, basically, you could have done anything else other than what we've got, which is crap. And it's just really frustrating that we could all see it from where we sit here, but the powers that be can't. And the only heartwarming thing that was came out of all of it was when the official uh, European Champions Cup um, accounts, both on Facebook and on Twitter, put the uh, their post up of the quarterfinal of the round sixteen, saying who's excited. Nearly 90% of the comments was basically everyone going, no one, it's shit. So feedback and (laughs) online um, feedback giving hopefully will be so negative it might, I don't live in hope because this competition time and time again always um, doesn't get it right. So I'm not expecting anything to change. But the feedback being so overwhelmingly united in the feedback being so it was so shit that It might make a difference for next year, but it doesn't help us for this season and it is an absolute crap. There we go.
0: No, I agree. John, agree? Yeah, I agree on that. Excellent. Right, excellent. So whatever influence this podcast has, which is none, we can throw that into the the realms of uh, social media comments that have been backing European rugby over the last uh, 48 hours or so. Anyway, Elliot, John, thank you so much for your time. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. Have a great week and we'll catch up with you next time. (laughs) I'm <laughs>